welcome. This is William Evans, and you are listening to A Living World Conversation. Our guest today is Alia Howe. Welcome, Alia. Thank you, Will. Great to see you. Great to see you. Kindly tell us who you are. Oh, well, that is a deeper question. I'm a human, walking as softly as I can on the earth. If you want to know more specifics, I was born in England. I run a performing arts series called Under Alia's Umbrella, um, which is about supporting performing artists, having their voice and performance opportunities in the valley. But Will... What can you tell us about a significant event that happened to you when you were at a beach with your family as a child and something awakened in you and you ran away? And what, what propelled you and how do you understand what that was about? It has a couple of things about it. I don't have really very many childhood memories. And other people in my family can fill in my memory blanks, but they just don't exist for me. But this one does, and it was very vivid. I was probably between two and three years old. And as a family, we went to beaches in England. And I remember looking at my whole family on the beach and decided I needed to, in my heart, go find where I belonged. And it didn't mean that I didn't have love and connection with my family, but there was this deeper sense of um, needing to belong. So I ran away. And I went marching as a little toddler does down the boardwalk, as you call it in America, and, and just went off in search of whatever was calling me. And I can't really name it specifically. And, and then all I remember after that joyous sense of freedom of I'm off my, on my way home, um, that um, police sirens and everything running around and my father, who was just my father's size, but the equality, quantity of rage and fear and everything made him like, Ten times bigger, <laughs> and I just remember <gasps> I'm going to be gobbled up. Wow. How old were you when you came to America? First time, but um, between 19 and 21, late 70s. And at what age did the performing arts first come alive in you? They'd probably always been alive. My father was an incredible scientist, and he had um, monthly gatherings like a salon in our home as a child where he would play piano for different singers, quartets. Uh, he would have scientific friends come and talk about what they were researching, interested, discovering, what questions they were answering. And also he was a deeply religious man, so he had a theosophical um, component too where people would come and bring readings from sacred, usually of the Christian lineage, sacred texts and share them and discuss them. So I grew up with the performing arts and uh, my father made us all play the piano and we had the choice on a second instrument and my upbringing on classical piano was exam, exam, competition, concert, uh, and, and so I was performing from a young age, but my passion was putting on dance theatrical shows in the garden. <laughs> All right. So do I understand correctly I, 
that you were present for these salons your father was hosting with scientists and yes theosophical uh, colleagues yes he and these experiences really fostered an inquiring mind for me and one of if you couldn't speak your passions then you could express them through music and later on uh, i always wanted to express it through th- my body um dance was always interesting to me but it uh, in my childhood, not a but, my mother sensibly decided that we were all going to be swimmers and we were all going to swim. So she only had two places to schlep her little troop of children. So dance was off the cards until I saw a notice in a dance studio, Will, that they needed a pianist. And so I, I was probably 9, 10, 11 when I marched down the stairs there and said, I could play for classes if you would give me free dance lessons. And, All right. and so my father um, gave me the gift of discipline, which you have to, to be a, p- a piano player, and uh, also the chutzpah to go and force, find and forge my own way. And when you were an accomplished dancer in this country, you went into the wilds of the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. What can you tell us about that? I could say at age 35, when I was sick as a dog on my birthday with flu in Philadelphia, that um, I was like, is this where I thought I'd be at 35? Somewhere I had a program in me that I would be married, have a house, children, a picket fence. And I was like, where did that program come? And I certainly am not in alignment with it. How do I feel about that? So it was kind of a semi-crisis. And I was dancing in New Zealand, and I had some time off. And in the little caravan I stayed in, there was another of Tom Brown's book. I'd already read one of his and was a huge Carlos Castaneda fan. And I registered for the school. And a year later, and having a grant for Dancer in Career Transition, which I really called Career Crisis, am I on the right path? Um, I went off to Tom Brown's school, and at the end of my first workshop with him, when we were in the sweat lodge, I, I just heard the earth um, talk to me. His sweat lodges were so incredibly powerful. So I marched up to Tom Brown and asked him if I could be a caretaker on his land. And um, unbeknownst to me, you had to wait for the icon, Tom Brown, to invite you to be a caretaker. But he didn't know how to say no to me. I was an unusual member of the wilderness survival tribe. Most people were in camo and I had just come off of a dance tour and I was in my woolly dance clothes, leg warmers. I'd shaved my head. I had piercings and I was just um, an oddity there. (laughs) 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 But passionate. So he let me go to the Pine Barrens and I believed he used... um, what do you call those telephone devices um, that get you into the wilderness? It's, it's a bigger than a walkie-talkie, but he called the people who were down in the Pine Barrens caretaking, do not let this woman die. She has no skills. <laughs> <laughs> but I got better. And you began to learn about the truth of the wilderness there. He was an extraordinary teacher for me. 
His tell, mit- tell our listeners a little about Tom Brown, because many of them may not know who he is. Tom Brown um, has a wilderness survival school and um, has written many, many books, The Tracker, The Seeker, Grandfather. And um, he was taught by a Lapan Apache scout, as I understand, who had a vision when he was 16 that he would be teaching all of his knowledge to a young boy who was making this pattern of shells um, by a, on a riverbank, sandy riverbank, it's all sandy in the Pine Barrens, or maybe by the ocean. And little did, um, I think he was called Stalking Wolf, little did he know that he would have to wait 70 plus years until he found this young man making, and this was Tom Brown. Tom Brown studied with him through all of his childhood until he left, and not only um, did Stalking Wolf teach him the um, survival skills, but he also taught him meditation and presence skills on how to be in harmony and relationship with the force that moves through all things. And these were my absolute favorite um, parts of my training with Tom Brown, but it, it was really counterbalanced with hard skills, um, building shelter, building fire, how to track, um, tanning hides, making baskets. So you were in relationship with the environment all the time. Um, and I, I think that really helped um, make more tangible the relationship with what is material and what isn't material and what is solid and what isn't. Most things in this universe aren't so They're more space than they are matter. And you learn to receive communication through feelings, emotions, symbols, signs, dreams, and waking visions. Yes. We had incredible meditations. I remember one where um, we were set off to... We did under the earth meditations where we would move our consciousness above ground, underground, and um, listen for knowledge there. And I remember... One meditation, one was go off and find a question that you want an answer to, that every cell in your being is yearning for. And so I tried, oh, when will my back injury be healed? Didn't catch me. Oh, will I ever get the house with the picket fence and the Mm. husband and the family? That didn't catch me. And I kept trying different ideas until it suddenly occurred to me to ask, will I have a child? My whole body sat still. It lit up. And I sat in that state for quite a while. And um, then I remember getting up and uh, walking. And Tom just said, listen. And so I listened, and through the wind and the leaves in the trees um, came, just wait, she's on her way. And it never occurred to me when I got pregnant with my daughter, maybe until about two weeks before she was born, what if it would be a boy? (laughs) (laughs) Because the wind in the trees had told me it would be, and I learned to listen to the wind in the trees and, and the voices. And does what you learned in the wilderness inform your artistic work today? Yes and no. Um, when I was um, living in the Pie Browns in an underground shelter, there was an illegal clear cutting of cedar trees um, in a cranberry swamp. And 
it broke my heart and I could feel the trees in the front line for possibly being cut down neck, just screaming. And it wasn't an audible scream, it, it was one inside my body and in, inside the very fibers of my nerves. And that then relaunched me out from the wilderness to start creating environmental works. And I did a full evening's work called Elementals. I did a piece called Trees. And I kept speaking to environmental um, concerns that were really in my face uh, and I had a heart connection with. And moving back into more urban life, I'm also influenced by the culture of the people, what's going on socio-politically, economically. It's all connected to the environment. Um, so I could say, yes, everything is connected to my Tom Brown time because it needs to be stirred in my heart. That it's right. something that I am compelled through my body and all the voices I can find. I love to collaborate with filmmakers. So I'm compelled to speak. It's a lot of work to put a production on, so there needs to be some <laughs> underlying force behind it, Will. <laughs> Talk then in a general sense about why performing arts are important to you and what values drive them. Well, when you're performing, it's present moment. There's no other moment. Uh, so who shows up as much of you as possible with as little baggage as possible to be a vehicle for what you're willfully trying to share, but also leaving a massive space, what needs to be shared through me? Can I be an uh, instrument for inspiration? Can you be an instrument for inspiration? Yes. You're listening to a Living World Conversation with Alia Howe about performing arts. So you understand the value of beauty, goodness, joy, and freedom, and it manifests in your, in your personal life and in your salon. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, along with all my other qualities, I'm a human being. Um, the salon. So as I mentioned earlier, it came up in my childhood. It came up in my early dancing days in London at a legendary salon called the 606, which is 606 Kings Road, where artists, after they'd finished performing, would come and share improvisationally, um, collectively, their voices. It was an absolute hoot. Uh, when I came to Philadelphia, um, via New York, there was Andrea Clearfield who was hosting salons and I performed at her salons and we became great friends and she was a part of the Aspen Festival, music festival and she was chatting with Kylie and Kylie Michelle who was the proprietress of the restaurant, the then restaurant Justice Snow said why don't you bring a salon here and Andrea worked out uh, reached out to me and we began the salon which you performed at Will right. um, there and it's again it's a Kylie was committed and Andrea and I are in giving artists an opportunity in the performing arts to perform and practice their voices and 
take chances or share finished work and the salon coming up on January 6th is just that. Uh, we have longtime local uh, Chris, who is named, known as Biff Phillips, who founded Battle of the Bands, played with John Denver, playing classical guitar. Natalie Spears, whose authentic voice sings throughout our community, is an incredible singer-songwriter. AJ Finney is brought up here because I, I love to start a new year off with giggles. And he's a fine, fine comedian. Cynthia Gregory, um, a classical ballerina, moved over into tango and she is going to come up and share her exquisite art form with her partner Dominic Bridges in um, tango. And local painter Tracy Harris came randomly across my path on a walk up Avalanche Creek, and I discovered that she's a painter and she paints like photographs. Really? Realism. The light is radiant. They're feminine. Uh, and so she's going to be asking the audience questions around her new series. What do you, I, I don't know what the questions will be. So I, for the salon, I leave it wide open to the artist, big open heart, saying, you've got 15 minutes share from your heart. And this salon is called Caught in the Light of Creativity. And my dream for our community, Will, is that they get caught in the vibration, the potency, the light of creativity, and that they may take that and take chances in this new year of standing up in their own creative voice. What's important to you? What do you want to give time to? And does it make you shine. And awakening that light in, in the guests you invite to your salon and the audience who are there is huge because we need a lot of awakening in this time. And uh, it's a beautiful beautiful thing you're bringing together and it'll be at the launch pad. It will at six o'clock on Saturday January 6th. And I have some surprises too at the salon. And one of them will be local storytellers. You and I, we, you um, brought me into your project Taranga YY about standing tall. And one of the reasons, not professional artists, but local people from our community being part of my writ large storytelling series is about what's, what, What's a story that you want to share and stand tall and in authenticity around? And our stories are usually about the past. So do I look at this situation in the past in the same way or has it changed? It gives us a pause and to share with the audience hearts, this is who I was then, this is how I am now. What a folly it is to be a human being. And um, so it's Taranga Waiwai to share your story. And I feel like sharing a story is an act of love for yourself and for your community. Well, and it's, it's very much alive. I'm just amazed to continue to revisit experiences and see them in a new way from a, a perspective I never got in the moment it occurred. Oh, can you tell me of one you just revisited? One time, Clifford 
and I were up on the flat tops, Clifford Duncan, a Ute elder. And we'd gone up before anyone else, and we fixed dinner, and it was it was lovely out. And so I spread a, a tarp and my sleeping bag and threw another tarp over my my sleeping bag and, and slept under the stars. When I awoke in, in the morning, my, my bag was wet from the dew, and I, um, I spread it out on the bushes and the tarp on the bushes to dry out. And then I took them off and put them away. And Jim Goss, who um, was part of this gathering, drove up and, and walked into camp. And he looked at the bushes where my tarp had been, and he said, what happened to those bushes? And Clifford immediately said, oh, Will did that. And I'd scorched the bushes by leaving the tarp there too long as the sun was on them. And I had no idea that I'd done that. But it was a huge learning for me. It was a learning in the moment, but more recently, as I've watched events and what I would call the absence of initiated men around me, I realized that that was an initiatory experience with Clifford where he was pointing out how I was unconsciously and irresponsibly um, injuring Mother Earth and her plants. And it was, a, it was a teaching moment that I continue to learn from. In your words, Alia, I was caught in the light. Caught in the light flowing with the words Clifford spoke. And I continue to learn from you. One of the first people I met, Will, when I ca- it was you when I came to the valley, and you were doing a circle of stones. And you taught me to be respectful and maybe check in if the stone wants to go into my pocket or even be moved. Um, it is such a blessing when we are caught and there's someone who gently suggests another way of doing things or being aware of doing things. And you have been that for me ever since I first met you. So I'm so grateful, Will. Well, thank you. And I think that's what Clifford was for me. He, mm-hmm. he did it with love, but it was necessary. And interesting that Bill Kite texted in. Was he there at that gathering? Because in one of my storytelling events, he shared a Clifford story. Well, and um, I think he probably was coming in. I don't know, you know, how much behind Jim Goss he was, but yeah, he, he, he was there as well in time. How do the arts connect with source? Well, depending, for me as an artist and for the artists who compel me into stunned stillness to pay attention to their work, there is a level of stillness. Um, Whatever your theme is, whatever the emotion is, whatever is compelling you to create, 
how do you become an authentic voice for that, your authentic voice to that. And that to me connects us to the source of imagination, the source of our being, the source of creativity, creation. Um, And it's a wonderful undressing and self-inquiry. Who am I? Where am I? What is real? Are things that are real only the things that never change? And everything here changes. What does it mean to you to be a woman alive and on fire in America and in Carbondale today? Challenging. I I never thought I'd live to see the day of Roe versus Wade. Um, it, It is shocking on every cell of my body. Who is listening Um, Who isn't listening? Um, What is happening? Why are we being led in this way and not being heard? What is this about? Ah, I did a piece that timely came out um, just as Donald Trump was elected, and it was called The Herd. I remember The Herd. So here we are in a continuation of herd mentality Um, And when do we, um, and how do we encourage uh, serious individual thinking, not the quick flip catch statements that compel people to react or respond, but what will foster deep inquiry, does this really feel right? Uh, And great questions came up in the Roe versus Wade, but being a woman in this time is an invitation to know what your divine feminine power is, how to connect to that, connect with others, and light the fire of actionable responses to things that concern you deeply, peacefully. I I love what you have been um, teaching and talking about lately. Will was going to put, has put up a box for the oozles. Process (laughs) of getting this done had many side roads. And at one point I said to Will, why don't you just put it up and ask for forgiveness later? And Will said back to me, because the process and the dialogue and the conversations are as important as it being up there. And the more people, I hope I'm paraphrasing you well, the more people uh, Will told me that he got to speak to, the more the understanding can grow. Magnificent, Will. So being a female artist, let's speak to each other. Be courageous in what your voice is. Don't be worried about conflict. And, and, and if you have polar opinions to someone else, listen to the other person's opinion, ask questions, truly try and understand the heart of their reasoning for their opinions. And may you be blessed that they do the same to you. Thank you, Alia. Thank you, Will. Thank you for being. You've been listening to a Living World Conversation with Alia Howe about her values, the performing arts, and the wilderness. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening. Tickets for Alia's Salon, January 6th, are available at carbondalearts.com.